0: Well, man, I'm so excited uh, for today. It's been an amazing day. Would you say, can you put your hands together one more time for all the things that the Lord has done today? Man, it's it's so awesome to be able to celebrate a new life. And man, what a privilege and honor uh, it is every time to be a part of that. You know, I think about, you know, just it's such an honor and privilege that the Lord would allow Uh, me to be able to walk life out with people and all the different things that I've had a chance to be a part of. But by far, my favorite thing to get to do is definitely uh, baptism. And I'm so excited uh, for that and that opportunity. And um, I'm excited to continue this collection, uh, practicing the way. And before I move on, One more thing, Um, if you haven't found you a belong group, please go ahead and do that because registration is going to close tomorrow, and there's uh, lots of uh, great groups to connect with, and this is just a preview of all the groups we're gonna have come the fall, we're gonna have so many. Many of you, many of you will have that opportunity to lead a group uh, this fall as well. Um, but if you're looking for uh, family groups, we have a couple, uh, actually three different groups uh, available as well. And I wanna encourage you to go ahead and and connect with that um, because we we really believe this: life is better together. Don't do life alone. Don't stay in your isolated bubble. But Stretch yourself, get outside, and get connected to community. Amen? Hey, well, I'm not going to be before you long. Some of you are like, lie number one. (laughs) Lies that a preacher tells. Hey, well, hey, real quickly, uh, turn with me to Romans 12. I'm going to read verse 1 through 2. So you have a copy of God's Word. I want to encourage you, man, bring, bring the hard copy. Like, it's, it's different when you get to flip those pages because you get notifications on your phone and all that stuff. And I get it. You know, sometimes you're just trying to get here on time. And so you got your phone and you got the Bible app, and that's awesome, too. Uh, but bring the hard copy if you can. And if you don't have it, it's going to be available, like, there on the screen. So here we go. It says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Somebody say "Transform." transform. By the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you today. God, we thank you for life, health, and strength. We thank you for this moment, Lord, that we get to gather around your word. God, thank you for everything that you've done today. God, thank you for what you're going to continue to do, Lord, as we press into your word for these few moments. And, Lord, I pray, God, that you give us eyes to see, God, and ears to hear what it is that you've been trying to get to us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you use me. God, I pray that the words that I speak, Lord, would just uh, penetrate the hearts of your people because I'm speaking your word, Lord. And Father, I pray that we don't leave here um, just learning how to modify our behavior, but God, we leave here walking in life transformation. So, God, we give you these next few moments, and we love you, we honor you, and we say, "Speak," because we're listening. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, "Come on, come on!" Everybody said, amen. "Amen, amen." So, we are in week four of our series practicing the way. And in this collection, uh, we've been taking time to answer the question, like what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that even mean? It's uh, language that we use all the time um, around Christianity or in Christianity is to follow Jesus. Like, what does that actually mean? And what we have discovered over the last few weeks is this is what it means. It means to follow Jesus is to be a disciple of Jesus or to be an apprentice uh, after Jesus. Meaning, you know, think of uh, an electrician. They will apprentice under a master electrician in order to be able to do the things that the master electrician does. And so in the same way, Because even with that word disciple, that's not specific to Christianity. There were disciples uh, before Jesus. Uh, So that's not specific to Christianity, that word there. Uh, But it means this for us who are following Jesus, that we are deciding to reorient our lives around uh, these three goals. To uh, be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what he did. And so over these last few weeks, that's kind of how we have tracked. Uh, We talked about uh, the way of faith. Uh, meaning uh, that it's the conviction that we hold that God will not lie, that he is faithful to his word, that he will do exactly what he said he would do. And then we talked about the way of community, that we're not called to live life in isolation, but we're called to live life together. And then last week we talked about the way of love, that it doesn't matter how spiritual we are, how holy we think we are, the spiritual gifts we, we operate in if we do not have love. That if we want to see this world change, if we want to make a difference, that it's going to begin and end with love. Because you can't shout somebody into change. You can't shout somebody into seeing something different. But you can love them there. And that begins with loving people with the same love that we have received, which is agape, meaning unconditional love. We see it all through uh, 1 Corinthians 13 that we tracked through last week. Well, today, we're going to continue our collection from this headline, The Way of Transformation. And so if you're taking notes today, you can write that down, The Way of Transformation. Now, transformation has almost become one of those Christian buzzwords. It's one of those words that you often hear uh, in, in around Christianity, like things where, man, God can transform your life. Oh, Lord, transform me completely from the inside out. Now, listen, I'm not taking a dig at those words at all because I use those words. I use those phrases. And not only do I use them, but I believe in them. But have we ever stopped for a moment and thought about, man, what about the person who said those same things, who believed those same things, but felt like transformation has eluded them? Think about the... Maybe it's us ourselves or maybe somebody we know where it seemed like they completely turned their life around. That they were living one way and all of a sudden things got different. seemed like they just started living a new way only to ultimately revert back to the life that they used to live. And when that happens, typically what people say, well, yeah, I knew that wasn't going to last. Yeah, I knew they were just emotional at the moment yet yeah, they were just walking through a difficult time, so they needed something to kind of lean into. But I knew that stuff would never last at all. But see, what I would say to that is that what you witnessed wasn't um, transformation. What you just witnessed was behavior modification. And listen, behavior modification is something that all of us do well. <laughs> we do. Because we learned it at an early age. Think about, you know, if you can remember yourself as a child or if you have little kids. Some of you are saying, like, my big kids, too. (laughs) But if you have kids or nieces, nephews, cousins, whatever, let them want a thing. I know ours for sure. Let them want something. They will change their behavior. They will let you know, Mommy and Daddy, I'm behaving right now. I mean, look at my attitude. It is so good. Aren't you so proud of me? (laughs) But then, the moment they get whatever it is that they wanted, how many guys know that they revert back to the behavior that they experienced before? And unfortunately, family, so many of us, we've lived like that as well. We go through a difficult time, we lost the job, someone got a diagnosis, something occurred, and we're like, Lord, I'm going to follow you, Lord, I trust you, Lord, I believe in you. But then you get the new job or the promotion or they receive the healing or you get healed or whatever, and then we kind of slowly start to fade back into the life that we lived before. But listen, family, that is not how the Lord wants you to live. That is not how he intended any of us to live. He wants us to move away from behavior modification, and he wants us to step into life transformation. Are you tracking with me this morning? But in order for that to happen, there are some things that we're going to have to deal with. There are some situations that we're going to have to address if we're really going to move from behavior modification and into life transformation. And really quickly this morning, I want to share what those three areas that we must deal with. And the first area that we must deal with is family. You see? <laughs> that was, oh, oh, that cousin. I might skip the family reunion if I got to see them. Oh, I love mama, but mama be. <laughs> but here's the truth, family. Family of origin can oftentimes be a stumbling block in our ability to truly transform. Because whether we realize this or not, our family of origin has a large influence on who we are today. And that's true for better or for worse. And that's true no matter how good your childhood was. Every family has a level of dysfunction. Right? Because we're hurting, broken people. And so there's a level of dysfunction within every family. And I see it so often in speaking with people and having conversations with people that there are things in their past or or moments in their family that have become these sticking moments or these earmarked, these marked moments that they can't move beyond. And so today, I want us to see how can we move beyond maybe some of the issues that we may have encountered with our family and begin to walk into the person that God has called us to become. And listen, family issues are nothing new. The Bible is full of them. Like it started in the garden when Adam blame shifted and tried to put it on Eve instead of taking responsibility himself. Or you can see it with Cain and Abel. Or you can see it with Jacob and Esau. Or you can see it with Joseph and his brothers. But it doesn't stop there. You can look at wives and and, and jealousy in that area as well. Or you can look at it from a a parental standpoint where Jonathan was nearly murdered by Saul or David and all of the issues that his son Absalom caused him. Right? So this is nothing new. But with all of that, I want us to understand this, that God cares about family. In fact, family was instituted even before the church. And it's the church that Jesus is returning for. But yet it was family that was established before the church. And it's the family, clearly, that we see that is being heavily attacked today. But even though it's being attacked today, this is nothing new. Family has been attacked for generations, for years. And so some of you may be saying like, okay, I hear what you're saying. God cares about family. So I get that. But if God cares about family so much, then how come mine has caused me so much pain? How come my family has been the root of so many of the issues that I deal with? And friends, we don't necessarily have the time to get into all the nuances of why your family has brought you so much pain. But I can tell you this, that you could be on the forefront of bringing healing to your family. Now, some of you may be saying, well, I don't want to. (laughs) And then some of you may be asking, how? And I'll tell you this, by forgiving your family. You may say, come on, brother. They don't deserve to be forgiven. And I will tell you this, family, forgiveness isn't. For them. Forgiveness is for you. Because oftentimes, some people, now some some people know that they hurt us and some people don't. And so you're holding on to unforgiveness in your heart against somebody that doesn't even realize that they offended you. So now it's affecting your ability to sleep, your ability to function, your kids can't meet their cousins, your, your, um, Uh, uh, Your your spouse, y'all just got married, can't even meet your side of the family. And there are people who don't even know that they actually offended you. And I get it. Some cases they do, but it doesn't change this fact that you can be on the forefront of bringing healing by forgiving them. Because when you harbor that unforgiveness in your heart, there's absolutely no way that you can walk in the fullness of who God has called you to be. Because there is this place in your heart that's being held up by unforgiveness. And the Lord is saying, I want to place something there. That I want to put something there, but I can't because something is holding that spot that shouldn't have that spot. So you holding on to that unforgiveness is causing you to not be able to receive what the Lord wants to do in your life. And now the reason to forgive them is not so that you can just simply receive what the Lord has done in your life. The reason for forgiving them is because the Lord has forgiven you. And so it's on us to do unto others as, one, as the Lord has done for us. He's shown us grace. We show others grace. He has forgiven us. We forgiven, we forgive others. Because, listen, forgiveness equals freedom. And when you walk in the freedom of forgiveness, you can embrace the promises of God because the posture of your heart is ready to receive. Like, Lord, I've released that. It's not about if they apologize. Sometimes we say, well, when they apologize, they may never. But you take the first step and forgive them, whether they know it or not. In fact, in Matthew 18, uh, Peter, he comes to Jesus. Jesus has been teaching, and Peter says, hey, well, uh, so how many times we're supposed to forgive? You know, should it be what? Maybe... Three times? How about that? And see, if you understand some context about this, uh, uh, rabbis, they taught if you follow the law, you forgive people up to three times. And after that, you're on your own. <laughs> and so Peter, he's actually thinking, because he knows how Jesus is. You know, you ask a question. He answers it with a question. So he's like, man, I'm going to get him this time, you know. So I'm going to come with this. I'm going to more than double what the rabbis teach. And so he says seven. He's he going to like this. To which Jesus says, Listen, 70 times seven. In other words, he was saying, Listen, I don't care how many times they offend you, you keep, unforgiving them. you keep forgiving them. I don't care how many times they hurt you, you keep forgiving them because forgiveness is not going to keep a record of wrong. It's the same way that he has done us. Your sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. They've been cast into the sea of forgiveness. And so he is saying, listen, you forgive the same way. Now you say, well, come on. So I just keep showing up for them to hurt me? No, that's act, I'm not advocating for that as well. Sometimes there is a change of proximity that is required. But before you change that proximity, because it's just too toxic to be connected, you say, listen, I forgive you and you're free. And then you just walk on. Because if not, you've got this chain around your ankle. Never able to walk. You can't even, when you harbor this uh, unforgiveness in your heart, you can't even think clearly. You can't love people really, not truly, because you're always wondering, what are they going to do to me? You can't even, you can't really have vision because you can't, you can't see because you're so consumed with what someone did. It affects your ability to celebrate someone else. Because you're so consumed about that. God's not wanting us to live that way. So we must deal with family if we're going to step into this place of transformation. Transformation cannot begin by holding on to unforgiveness. We must forgive. But I've also learned that it's not just dealing with family dynamics that can delay us or prevent us from becoming who God has called us to become. Sometimes it's also dealing with shame. Anybody ever felt shame? Anybody ever made a decision that you would later go on to regret? I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but I'm pretty sure whether we would raise our hands or not, that that's all of us. Do you know this, that there are people who are in this room that could potentially not experience the fullness of a relationship with Jesus because of shame? because they feel like there's no way because of this decision that I've made that I can actually experience a relationship with Jesus. Do you realize that there are people who are not in this room and will never be in this room and experience a relationship with Jesus because they feel that decisions that they have made, that they are outside of the position to be able to receive God's love, to be able to walk into the promises of God because of shame. And I know that to be true because I've sat across the table and I've heard people express that. I've heard it said and with members of my own family who feel that way. And if I'm, if I'm on his family, stuff like that, it eats me up because it's nothing but a lie of the enemy. It's the lie of the enemy that caused you to think that what you do or what you have done determines God's ability to love you and what he has for you. But listen, shame It's a trait that has been passed down. It's been passed down through the generations. Adam and Eve, they gave us shame. From the moment they bit in that fruit and realized they were naked and hid from God was the moment that shame would put its grip on many. And that's what shame does. It causes you to hide It causes you to hide who God has created you to be. And instead of identifying as one created in the image of God, we start to identify with whatever struggle. But listen, that is not the way. You don't have to identify with your issues. You don't have to identify with your struggles. You don't have to hide in your pain. You don't have to hide in disappointment. You don't have to hide in decisions that you regret. Don't hide your life in shame, family, but hide your life in Christ. Are you hearing me this morning? Colossians 3, it says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So when you make a decision to follow Jesus, when you say yes to him, your life is now hidden in Christ. Ian, can you help me, help me this morning with this? All right. What's up, Ian? You all right? It's good to see you, man. Step right here. Cool. I'm still in the light. I'm a chocolate brother. i make sure y'all see me. Here we go. (laughs) So here's Ian. Now, here, step back a little bit, Ian. Right here. There you go. So this is Ian, and he's made a decision to follow Jesus, but with that, he's also, he's kind of skeptical because he's made some decisions in his life that he's not proud of. there's some things in his past that he's wrestling with. And so he's been showing up, and he's been on the podcast, and he's been connected to uh, the Becoming Church. And he's like, man, Pastor Michael, you bring the heat just every single week. And um, <laughs> I'll put that in. <laughs> But, man, the stuff that you talk about, I don't know if that's really for me. I just, I don't know if God really has that for my life. But Colossians 3 says that our life is hidden in Christ. So you think when God is looking at you that he's seeing your mistakes and your issues and the things you struggle with today. But that's not what he sees. Because, see, when your life is hidden in Christ. Jesus steps into the picture. Okay, so this is in, but now he's decided to say yes to Jesus. And so now because of his decision, his life is now hidden in Christ. So listen, family, when the Lord looks at you, he doesn't see your pain. He doesn't see the shame you struggle with. He doesn't see the guilt, the hurt, the disappointments, the mistakes. No, he sees his son Jesus. And who does he happen to be? The holy one, the righteous one, the one who knew no sin but became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. So, family, don't hide your life in shame, but hide your life in Christ. So, in other words, some of us, we may need to do something with some physical representation and say, shame off me, guilt off me, pain off me, hurt off me. Instead, I'm going to put joy on. I'm going to put peace on. I'm going to put love on because my life is not about who I am, but my life is hidden in Christ. And you say, brother, you feeling that? Yes, because I know how messed up, jacked up I am. But because of Jesus, he's changed my life. But because of Jesus, I get to stand on this stage and express my love for him because he has changed my life. Because I lived the story. I grew up in church, and I knew how to play the game. I knew the right things to say. But in a moment when the Lord changed my life, I ride to this building on the way in the morning crying, thinking about you and praying for you. That wasn't my life before. But it was a moment when I said, listen, the shame, the lies I've believed, the lies I've told myself and even started to believe them myself, and that gets all twisted up, the Lord freed me off of that. Is it a struggle on a day-to-day basis? You better believe it is. But I'm not living this life in my ability. I'm hiding in Christ. I'm hiding in him. And I'm going to walk in the fullness of what he has made available. And so we got to deal with shame and say, listen, devil, like you can chill with the shame over there. Because I'm walking in the fullness of who God has called me to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Y'all give it up for Ann. Thank you, Ann. Here's the final observation this morning that we got to deal with because we're talking about life transformation. In Matthew uh, 14, Jesus and the disciples, uh, they just finished up. It's been an amazing moment. They fed over 5,000 people with just two fish and five loaves of bread. I'm, I'm trying to make that happen in our household with the kids. <laughs> Can we do that again? <laughs> Hit repeat. Well, that's just the curve. And Jesus, he goes off to pray, and he sends the disciples on, and so they are moving in the boat across the water. And Jesus, I guess he's like, ah, they're kind of far out there. And so he's like, I'm just going to walk. Like, that's kind of dope, right? Yeah, let me just walk. So he's making his way uh, to catch up to the disciples. And they see Jesus coming towards them and they start freaking out. Like, they spass out, like, oh my, what in the world's going on? It's a ghost. And he's like, yo, chill. It's not a ghost. Take courage. It's me. And then Peter says, well, then call us out. To which It's like Peter always, like, sticks his foot in his mouth, you know, to which Jesus says, okay, well, come. Now, Peter, he steps out of the boat. Some of us, we know the story. He steps out of the boat, and he starts walking on water, like Peter was walking on water, but he begins to sink until Jesus saved him, and ultimately, uh, they climb back into the boat. So then, so again, if Peter was walking on water, what happened? What caused him to sink? Well, in that moment, Peter was hit with fear. But we know this, that fear does not come from God. Second Timothy one seven says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So while fear does not come from God, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We know that it does. And I'm gonna close. So as the music starts playing behind me, that's just going to help this kind of feel a little bit more spiritual as we land this plane, okay? (laughs) So we know fear doesn't come from God, but fear certainly exists. And let me tell you this story really quickly as we close. Back when I was a kid growing up, um, we lived in North Carolina at this moment, and there was a, a house uh, the neighborhood was an older neighborhood, but there was part of it that they had started to develop. And so we lived on that part, but they didn't cont- continue to develop all of it. So at the end of the street, it was a dead end, but it connected to the other side of the neighborhood where there was a cul-de-sac. And we would go over there, a lot of, a lot of the kids, and we would go hoop. We would go play in the cul-de-sac right there because it was perfect for it. And so a friend of mine, David, he came to the house and was like, yo, let's go hoop. I was like, bet, let's go. And so anyway, <laughs> we're walking. Um, down the street and through the woods. It was woods that you had to cut through to get to the other side. And all of a sudden, this dog appears. I don't know what kind of dog it was. It was big. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily a dog person. I'm not necessarily not a dog. I don't know what that makes me, though. But, like, we just, it, it depends, I guess. <laughs> but I saw this dog, and he saw me. And I didn't like the look in his eyes. And so before there was much conversation, I got on up out of there. Listen, family, y'all should have seen me. I'm talking, you know, it was Usain Bolt before we knew who he was. Like, I'm running, breakneck speed. I'm over here leaping um, these chain link fence, like running through people's backyards. Because, listen, I'm not trying to have that become a part of my story. That's not the testimony that I want to tell people I was delivered from the dog biting me. Like, I'm good on that. So... My friend David's yelling, wait, hold on. What? What you mean, wait? Like, you've got it twisted. So now I'm back home. I'm on the front porch. I got some Kool-Aid. I'm just, then David, he finally is coming down the street. And he didn't get bit. Okay, if y'all wonder what happened. The dog didn't get him. Somehow he got away. But he talk about wait. Like, there is no Wait. Now, for both of us in that moment, we experienced fear, right? But, and both of us had a choice. Now, for me, the fear that I felt, it fueled me and I got out of there. But for David, the fear froze him. He became stuck. Listen, we all get to decide what we're going to do with fear. Because fear is going to exist, it's going to be there. God just, he didn't give us that spirit, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. But we do get to decide how we're going to respond to it. Either fear will fuel us or fear will freeze us. And listen, I get that there's a lot to be fearful about. I really do. We live in some interesting times. But could it be that the things that some of us are fearful about are things that are not even there? You may say, well, what are you talking about? Look at Matthew 40, excuse me, 14, verse 30. I can't remember if I gave you that in the back or not, guys. But it says this. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Now, I do understand we are in a very intellectual city, a very intellectual area. We got the highest concentration per capita of PhDs, to which I am not one of them. Um, So I do understand that what I'm about to say is probably true. But, like, y'all are probably smarter than me, but how do you see wind? Has NASA figured that out? Like, how do you see wind? You can't see wind. You can see the effects of it. You can see debris blowing. You can see the damage that it causes, but you can't see when. But Scripture tells us that it was when he saw the wind that he began to sink. Like he didn't mention the waves. He didn't mention some large fish or the depths of the ocean, but instead, family, he mentioned the wind. Peter saw something that was unseeable. How many of us are being sank by unseeable fears? How many of our fears are largely in our mind? How many of us have fears that are only imagined dangers? Listen, I'm not throwing shade. I do recognize that there are real things to fear, but all too often the ones that sink us are the ones that are in our mind. That is not the water. It's not the waves. It's not the depths of the ocean. And so for some of you in here, you've been kind of teetering with this. You've been like, man, I want to go all in with Jesus, but man, what will they say about me? What will the people that I grew up, what comments will they make about me? Or I want to start that business. It's been on my heart for the last 10 years, but man, they say we're headed towards a recession. Can I really start a business now? I want to write that book. Who's going to read it? Do I actually have anything to say. So we just kind of sink because of fear, and nobody is actually saying it because of things or that are even factual, but because of things that are in our mind. But listen, family, instead of having a fearful mind, have the mind of Christ. Having a mind of Christ means sharing in the plans, purpose, and perspective of Jesus to where you say, listen, I don't want to see things how I see it. I want to see it how you see it. I don't want to hear things how I hear it. I only want to hear it how you hear it. So listen, let's have the mind of Christ so we can have the perspective of Christ. And in our opening text, Paul says, be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. Don't conform to this world, family. Too many of us have conformed to the world's pattern, to the world's way of thinking, believing, and speaking. But we need a renewed mind so that transformation can be a reality in our lives. And listen, here's how you renew your mind. You renew your mind by renewing your words. Like, I don't have time to get into the science of all of this, but literally there are neuroscientists that have conducted research on the power of the words that you speak, whether negatively or positively. And they kind of determine whether you, how deep you deal with anxiety or depression. And so listen, if negative words have an impact, what about positive words? According to a neuroscientist, in their research, it suggests that expressing positive thoughts can literally change one's reality. Now, listen, we're not here to talk, the, talk about the power of positivity, but we are here to talk about the power of God's word. That if we want to move away from behavior modification, it starts with renewing our mind. And, we, and by renewing our mind, we're changing our thinking and we change our thinking. By thinking on what the word of God says. By speaking on what the word of God says. And so sometimes, family, whenever your mind starts saying the opposite of what God is saying, you got to start saying what God has said. You got to say, listen, I am complete in him. I am alive with Christ, that I am free from sin and death, that greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world, that I have the mind of Christ, that God supplies everything that I need, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, I am God's masterpiece. I am chosen. Come on, don't look at me, but believe this. I am above and not beneath. I am the light of the world. I am forgiven of all my sins. I am redeemed. I am healed by the work of Jesus, I am greatly loved by God, for it is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Come on, get that. Until we start saying what God has said about us, we can never become the person he said we could become. So family, allow your mind to be renewed by changing your thinking. Don't conform to the world's pattern of fear doubt and disbelief and all these things but put your hope, your faith your confidence in God and here's the very last thing and we'll get you out of here the way of transformation is the willingness to deal with the difficulty of yesterday in order to embrace the destiny of tomorrow that it may be tough, it may be difficult and it may be slow listen, becoming this is what we're talking about It is little by little, bit by bit, small gains. It may be a small gain, but it's still a gain. Do you hear me? And you may think it was a loss, but it wasn't a loss. It was a lesson. So the next time you know how to move.